AI is, is without a doubt here. Um, and you can choose to be an AI enabled company or you can, you know, you can maybe risk being replaced um, pretty in the, in the near future. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Kian Brennan. He's the CEO of Quantum Contract Solutions. He spent almost two decades on the client side of construction. Over this time, he saw hundreds and hundreds of construction companies being bullied contractually, losing money, and even going out of business. In 2019, after becoming deeply concerned with the state of the industry and having inside knowledge of how clients manage contracts, he launched his own company. Kian has won a 40 under 40 award, a best of business innovation award, and an outstanding growth and was a finalist for entrepreneur of the year in the CEO magazine and business news. Finally, he's also the host of Construction Secrets podcast. Welcome to the show, Kian. Thanks, Todd. Uh, really nice to to be here. Um, I think you guys won um, Construction Podcast of the Year too, as well, right? So that's cool. That's right. Yeah, we uh, we won that a, a couple years ago, and we like to say that we're still the reigning champs in it because there hasn't been a that competition has not happened since the last year we won. So nobody has <laughs> has dethroned us technically. So it's a that's it's a fun it. Fantastic. That's cool. <laughs> Well, how did you get into the construction industry to begin with? Oh, wow. Um, so my grandfather was in the construction industry. He had, he had a contracting business. Um, and one of the kind of important things uh, uh, I remember in my grandmother's house after my granddad died, she had this beautiful um, uh, framed newspaper article um of the, the day he died and and it, it said the man who built Galway and Galway's the west of Ireland where where I'm from and um from well I remember reading that as a kid and thinking yeah I'd really like to get into construction um and it, things 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 went a little bit different because I kind of wanted to em- emulate um him but the advice I was given was don't that the contracting side, uh, GC side, subcontractor side is um, very difficult. You're better off going the client side. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the that's the path I went down. I went um, client side, university, um, all of that, all of that good stuff. Um, and yeah, that, that's how it all so it all began. That's awesome. Is there uh, something that you wish you would have known at the beginning of the career? Yeah, actually, um, ha, ha, um, I have a, a bit of a view on this, um, and I, I put a, a tweet out about it the other day. Is that um, you know, in when you're in your twenties, really, really should be learning, not earning, you know, and um, and client side does tend to pay better, but um, you don't get exposed to. Um, really interesting conversations and meetings when you're, you know, in your twenties and you're, you're working, you know, for a larger organization, you kind of, you're pigeonholed into this sort of one area and this one thing that you do. And obviously you get good at that one thing, but when you're contractor side, you, you very quickly 
get into meetings where you're discussing contracts, you're discussing budgets, you're discussing, you're making negotiations. And so from an experience point of view, you would have learned fivefold if you were contractor side. You would have been exposed to a lot more um, of the financial game of construction. And so I think if I was to go back, I, I, I think to learn more, I would have gone contractor side earlier um, because, yeah, that's it's you get so much more exposure at a yo- much younger age because you, you have to, right? Resources dictate that you, you get involved in these things, which is, which is great. Kian, based on kind of your, your perspective of the industry, of, of all the, the different areas that you've gotten to partake in, what do you think is the biggest opportunity ahead for construction this year? Opportunity in general. I mean, yeah, it's really it's really hard not to look past AI, right? It's um, I think the where construction is going now and where service business and different types of businesses, um, the, the challenge that they're facing is that AI is is without a doubt here, um, and you can choose to be an AI enabled company or you can you know you can maybe risk being replaced um, pretty in the, in the near future. Um, and so when I'm looking at um, how AI will impact the, biz, uh, the construction industry, I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that people are going to be replaced. I think eventually, of course, they will. But I think if you're the type of company that wants to innovate and, um, you know, down the line when people are looking at different services and different construction services, they're still going to want to come to you provided that you have AI enabled in the back end to be able to deliver a better product. They're, st- they're not going to want to incorporate their, uh, like a GC, for example, and you're, you're, you, uh, they're, not, they're not going to want to do the contracts like AI stuff themselves. They'd rather have a third party who's, you know, who's done all the prompts, done all of the investigation, knows how to manage it, um, that's a valuable business in the future um, for people, um, and that's where I think that's where I think the industry is is going in all different facets. So you can choose to be AI enabled or or choose not to. Um, and as a company, we are you know we've just added it to our culture that we are an AI enabled company. And I've challenged the team this week to see if they could replace themselves. Um, with AI, what 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 they could, uh, what what tools that they can use. Um, so that's the that's the plan for this week. So next next week's um, team meeting, we're going to discuss what platforms that they have been able to make their their jobs more efficient. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought experiment. What was the the reaction to when when you rolled it out? I think it was it was quite interesting. I was you know I thought I'd have to do this big you know big big sell to people that you know the AI is super important and uh, but everyone was like yeah hundred percent hundred percent we need to be the type of people that are using it and so yeah it was it was, it was taken on really really well I think mm-hmm. yeah I, I think it's been fascinating obviously Chat GPT has been everywhere you can't go anywhere without somebody saying something about it but that that whole concept is super fascinating and it's clearly the way everything is is moving so you gotta be willing to risk it and kind of jump out there and figure it out early because other people are going to be doing that yeah yeah, we're using chat every day now so 
um even just in you know so obviously copy marketing and that sort of stuff it definitely helps just very quickly give you ideas and and Mm -hmm. to rewrite stuff for you but also in our customer delivery when we're talking about uh, you know, when, when someone, one of our clients sends in a contract to be reviewed, for example, we respond letting them know that we've received it. So you can respond with a generic, you know, your 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 contract has been received, we're working on it in due course or something boring like that. Right. But now we respond, every single one is something different. We just run through ChatGPT to get the same thing, but slightly different. So, it, you know, it's, it comes across a bit more personable and it comes across a bit more interesting. Um, yeah. Just little things like that. I love that. So you brought up contracts. It's a, it's a big hot button area in construction. Why do you think construction contracts in particularly are so uh, complex and, and contentious? Um, well, they're not, they, they aren't, not all of them are, right? Um, but uh, the big problem is 26% is, is the figure, the latest figure um, of all insolvencies come from the construction industry. And so the last quarter, um, as our time of, of speaking now, Todd, um, was the highest insolvency rate since 08. Okay, so mm-hmm. construction companies are going out of business. And there's, there's a couple of different reasons for it, right? So the, the, the I guess the main reasons that it's happening is a lot of people are in lump sum contracts, fixed price contracts, um, and the prices have gone insane and they can't get people and they can't deliver on their projects, Okay. Cash flow gets very, very tight. They don't get paid and they end up going into business. That's kind of why. But if you go one step further is the contracts that they've signed have not allowed for that to change. Okay. So typically what happens in the construction industry, you've got, you've got the owner of the thing, right? So it could be the government, could be developer, oil and gas company, mining company, whoever wants to build the end project uh, is the top of the food chain. Then you've got your GCs. And with your GCs, there's going to be a contract between your GC and the owner. And that contract, both of those guys are going to have lawyers, are going to have contracts people on both sides, and they're going to negotiate a contract that they believe is fair. Now, that tier one, that GC, he actually doesn't do any work. Okay, He subcontracts out all of the work. So really, they're actually a finance company, if you think about how they actually make money. So the, the turners of the world, those type, those type of guys... They, they, they might do some constructs, but more often than not, they do absolutely nothing. And so they make money between the delta, between how much they get paid by the owner, the loan that they get from the bank, and how much they pay their subcontractors. That's, that's, their, that's, their, that's their business model. And so it's very important to remember that because if things are running cost-wise, right, they're going to try and recoup their costs. But what they do is with their contracts down the way, when they're talking, uh, when they're uh, negotiating contracts with the subcontractors, they issue contracts that are far, far, far more riskier and aggressive than the one that they've signed. And the reason is a risk arbitrage to keep the risk down at that tier two subcontractor level. So if anything happens, it doesn't affect them getting paid up the line. Okay, mm. so you can you understand why they do it, right? I guess if you know. Sure. But they're not, they're not the big bad, you know, companies. But if you were in that position, you probably you probably would do the same thing. Okay, maybe right. a bit nicer. Okay, so what happens is then the subcontractors typically are smaller companies, right? They're they're not, you know, they don't have teams of lawyers in house, and so they don't have the expertise or the people to 
understand what's in the contracts and then they therefore they sign really bad contracts they sign a lot of times they just sign them as is or negotiate one or two things thinking that they're they're not able to negotiate a contract and then um you know to to quote uh you know as uh, well it, it's not necessarily quote but charlie munger and, and warren buffett are very very famous people but they talk about um um, sorry, the quote is, is Keith Cunningham, right? Um, is um, a very good book called um, uh, The Road Less Stupid. And all three of those guys talk about the downside, right? So most people can be successful, right? It's how long can you keep going up without a huge down, right? And construction's the same. Yeah. So if you look at, uh, if you have the, the philosophy and the best construction companies in the business do, if you have the philosophy that I'm happy to take a reasonable margin with low risk, okay? So if something goes wrong, it's just a blip and I still continue my trend of growth upwards. Whereas mm -hmm. if you take on, you know, for example, a very high margin and a lot of risk in your contract, and that that's fine if that's your strategy, but then if something happens, the downside is huge, and the downside could lead to you going out of business and losing a lot of money. And so when you sign a better contract and you invest your time in understanding contracts and what's important, that's where you get that lower risk, you get those little blips, and over time it's so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So how should yeah, 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 totally. So how should subcontractors then think about going into uh negotiation to really work on those more favorable terms? Because it's it's easy to think that they're you know, the, the little guy, David, fighting the, the big, bad Goliath. Yeah, yeah, but that's a really good point. You can use that to your advantage. I'll talk about that in a second. But the, the first thing that construction companies need to understand is one is the game of construction. The business of construction is two parts. You construct something, deliver something, whatever it is, but you also, there's a contractual side to get paid for it. So mm -hmm. more often than not, Todd, all of these guys are experts. You could give them a complex architectural or engineering drawing and they have navigated, they understand it inside it out, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, what you also need to be able to, and that you need to be able to do is get a document that's been written by a lawyer, right? AKA a contract, and also interpret that as well. You don't need to be a lawyer to interpret a contract. It's the same as where you don't need to be an architect or engineer to interpret the drawings. You need to interpret, so you need to get educated on what means what. It's very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the way to look at these things, and this is the reality from being on the, 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 the other side of the fence, is that they give you their worst contract expecting you to negotiate. And so if five people are bidding for a project and only four people, I'm sorry, four people try to negotiate the terms of the contract and one doesn't, and if that one is you, right, they don't look at you and think, hey, you know, this guy's really easy to deal with. They think of you as, oof. This this guy's pretty green, you know. This this you know why hasn't he? You know we're a bit concerned now, and they don't have the confidence that you can do the job. Okay, so it actually works against you. And so, really, it's it's you know just as as a company, um, and I'm I'm only saying this because it gives you an example as to what you can get across the line. If we get eighty two percent of what we put forward across the line. So the whole Wayne Gretzky thing, you know, you don't ask, you don't get shots, you don't take, you don't score, right? So right. the game is they're giving you their worst contract. They have backup clauses for every single thing. And they, they're, they, they, they just go, okay, well, you don't agree to that one, we'll give you the backup one, right? And you can easily reduce your risk. That's the game, right? So the game has been played whether you want to play it or not, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. So what can uh, 
subconscious do as kind of a, the, the first step if they want to be proactive in the discussion? Um, okay, so as the when you're being asked to tender or to bid, they will actually say, you know, you have to put forward your technical clarifications, and then you have to put forward your commercial clarifications. And so when they when um, and that's at bid stage, right? A lot of people just wait until they've just been issued a contract to sign. And it, you know, if that's the case, well, that's fine too. But ideally, you want to do it at bid stage, and then you just put forward what you don't agree in the contract. That's the starting point. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and even even to go back a step, if you wanted to sit down uh, with insurance company, or once you understand the the contract, come up with a set of commercial principles for your company to say we don't sign up to X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and then as part of your, your bids, you can just put in that document saying, hey, uh, our bid is based on the acceptance of these commercial principles. Bridging the Gap is powered by Greytech Group. As a global BIM and modeling expert, Greytech is dedicated to empowering construction and manufacturing professionals to digitize and industrialize their processes to improve performance and build a sustainable tomorrow. With more than 30 years in the industry, they know how to be your partner in a world where change is the new normal and always strive to enable their customers to gain an increased competitive advantage to model the future. Visit greatech-group.com for more information. Nice. Uh, what pitfalls should contractors be kind of on the lookout to avoid that are kind of the common mistakes that they, they might make? Uh, okay. Well, one is, okay. So payment terms are always tricky, right? So give an example of, okay. First of all, you want to have, you know, 30 calendar days, 20 business days is probably about standard, depending on the size of the company you are um, and, and what you're doing. But, if you actually read the clause on payment terms, right? And let's just say it says uh, 30 calendar days, end of month, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, that seems, that seems okay. But if you read the clause, it might say something like, okay, you have to submit your payment application on the 28th of, of month one. So you submit it on 28th of month one. They review your payment application on the 3rd of month two. They go, yeah, that's all good. Please submit your invoice, right? Here's a payment certificate. Uh, please submit your invoice against this payment certificate. So you do that on the 5th of month two, say. Then you have to wait all the way until the end of that month, because it's end of month, and then they add 30 days. So in actual fact, you are signing up to 50, 60-day payment terms. Um, it's those little things where the devil is in the detail that you need to look out for. Um, yeah. one, another one is, is termination clauses. A lot of the termination clauses will be one way. So they'll have all the different ways that they can terminate you, but you can't necessarily terminate them. And so you really need to be able to terminate your client if, for, if, for example, they don't pay you, right? You don't want to be in a situation where you have to keep working, even though they haven't paid you and you're like, Hmm, are they going to pay me? And this, this is when, when companies are going insolvent, this is when this comes in, right? You're like, they haven't paid me last month. Are they going to pay me this month? Um, and then you're in that terrible scenario where you're going to have to keep working. Yeah. Take some of the guesswork out by looking Pretty at much. those details. That's, that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I saw a, a fun uh, expression that I, I wanted to ask you about. It's the squeaky bum time in construction. What is that? <laughs> um, so squeaky bum time. Let me, let me so 
there was a, a famous football manager in the UK uh, for Manchester United. His name was Sir Alex Ferguson. He was like, you know, one of the best guys. He was a manager for like 30 years, won everything. Um, and he ha- he coined that phrase called squeaky bum time. And what he was referring to was the final quarter of a football game where people are sitting in the plastic seats in the stadium and they're, they're starting to shuffle around, right? It's yeah. getting a bit nervous and the squeaky bums, right? Because that they're moving around in the seats. And and what he was saying was that that is that's the the championship quarter. That's when things matter. And in construction, from a very very high level, if you take that approach, that the final quarter of a construction project is where everything kicks off, is where all of the disputes are. More often than not, you'll never be hit with liquidated damages. Actually, in fact, what actually what will happen is they'll say, "Hey, you're, you're delayed 20, 30 days. We're going to offset that against your final payment claim." And then you go, whoa, I don't agree to that. And then you eventually come to a settlement. Okay, mm-hmm. but settlement much lower than you want it to be, to be at, right? A lot of these big companies bring in closeout teams. So the relationship that you had with the, your opposite, opposing PM is gone. He's left. A lot of times PMs move on themselves because they're coming to an end of a project. You know, their, their job is about to be over. So if they get a job somewhere else on a three-year project, they're going to move to there. So mm-hmm. everything happens in that final quarter. And so all you need to do contractually really is prepare yourself for that final quarter and remember that the company that you're dealing with is a finance company they're, if they're looking at costs they're going to be like hmm, we need to save costs and uh, best way to do it is to you know look and see which which guys haven't complied contractually okay we're not paying you you didn't submit your notice for your change or you didn't submit your notice for eot therefore we're not paying you okay that's what they want to do to save to save money so if you're the type of company that have been submitting your notices your eot's your variations have been on top of your paperwork the whole way through when it gets to that when it gets to squeaky bum time they look at you and go hmm this guy this guy is 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 um is is sorted right we'll go after somebody else and and contractually, and, and this is a bit of a negative for, for our company, really, is that when things are going well, right, success looks like silence. Because mm. when you've signed a, a contract that has way less risk in it, no, nothing happens. Right. Like you, the risk, it's, it's it like the, the, the only, uh, like the, it, it's, like taking, it's like taking vitamins and eating healthy, right? So you take right. vitamins and eat healthy and you kind of just feel normal. It's baseline, right? It's only when you st- start eating junk food and you go off that you start feeling bad. You're like, oh, I just want to get back onto eating healthy. That's kind of the analogy, right? And it's the same in um, in that post-award phase where if you're, if you're doing things right, your change orders are being approved, you're getting your EOTs across the line, you're getting paid, and you're not having disputes, and it just all works. That's mm-hmm. why success looks like silence um, in the contractual world. And, and the biggest and best construction companies have teams of contracts, people in their businesses for a reason, right? If you just, just, for, just from a, a thought experiment, if you are a big, bigger construction company, you will have an in-house lawyer in your, in your headquarters to negotiate your contracts. So that we're talking 200, 250 grand a year type of a person. Then you're going to have a contracts administrator, quantity surveyor, or contracts manager on site. Same, it's going to be 200 grand a year, right? Uh, or maybe 150, depending on skill set. And then you might have a dispute guy, or maybe the, the lawyer is a dispute guy. But we're still talking almost 400 grand, 450 grand per project on only contracts. 
Mm. Right. And so it's not, I'm not telling subcontractors that you need to do that. I'm just telling you that the big companies are willing to spend that amount of money on every project for a reason. And the reason is that's where the money is. That's where you get paid, where you don't get paid. That's where things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the illustration that you pulled out there too with the vitamins because you know, I think that applies in general uh, across construction. Everybody loves to tell the the war stories of, of when everything went wrong, but very seldom or not in the, the uh, an equal percentage do you tell the stories of when everything went right and it was the uh, really smooth project. You people tend to tell the the horror stories instead of the success stories. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very true. It's it's what it's a different industry in that uh, people are more worried not uh, about. Uh, losing money, getting ripped off, then making lots of money and growing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. Is there a, a misconception around contracts that you wish people didn't believe? Yes. Um, and I'll give you a story to, to illustrate it. There was um, a noise wall contract. I don't know what you know a noise wall contract is, but noise walls are the walls on either side of the, of the freeway, motorways, oh. highways. Um, that you know keep the sound in basically because sure. otherwise it'd just be super noisy and it'd, you know it annoy people and so um i was chatting to him and he said keen um i don't want to negotiate they're going to think i'm difficult and uh, they're going to give the work to someone else and i'm i said to him um no it's I, I trust me this is just a game right this is what they play and so um he goes okay keen look i've got this new client we've never worked with them why don't you take that one? And then my existing clients, I'll just do what I've been doing so far. I go, okay, a good deal. And so we put forward, we tried to negotiate, we put forward and their response after the whole thing was to him. Thank you for your uh, professionally worded departures or clarifications. The, and the, the important thing, Todd, is it gave us confidence that you knew what you were doing. Yeah. And so the, the what I would like uh, subcontractors to think about is when like they are the game is they're giving you their worst contract right the the belief that if they'll think you're too difficult and just give the work to someone else is is not true right it's in fact if you don't try to negotiate they don't think you they they, they think you don't know what you're doing that's the key belief mm -hmm. and in the post-award phase again if you and I, i'll tell you where you you probably are right if you become contractual halfway through a project or towards the end when stuff is going wrong Right, that you can definitely hurt relationships that way, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are like, whoa, they're getting contractual, it gets personal. Um, yeah, and I'm sure most of your listeners have been involved in stuff like that. But if you start contractual, you start submitting your notices and you go, hey, well, the contract just says that we have to do that. So we're doing it. So you start off that way. Mm -hmm. They just look at you and go, oh, those guys are switched on. They're commercially savvy. They know what they're doing. That's the, that's the perception you get. Right. So just by being contractual, just by trying, you're going to sign a contract that's way less risky because that's the game. Um, and in the post-award phase, just by submitting notices and doing what it tells you to do, doing the paperwork, essentially, you're going to reduce your risk in that final quarter. They're going to look at you and go, oh, they've got ton, ton, tons of paperwork in. Like we'll, we'll go after somebody else. And then you'll have that success looks like silence mm -hmm. the whole way through. That's what yeah. that's what I want for you, for, for, for you guys. Nice. That makes a, a ton of sense. What do you see as the kind of the next step in evolution in the industrialization of construction? 
Uh, well, I do think it's that AI thing. Um, and it's in, it, the thing about AI that's really interested me, um, and I, I guess this might answer your question as to the next step. So the, the, the step in front of us is just AI. So I think we all expected AI to replace blue-collar workers. And and strangely, it's not. It's it's replacing at the moment. It's replacing creative people uh, with Wally. Uh, sorry, not Wally. Dali, and so you can do all the different the, the different type of um, images, and obviously all the different copywriting. And but now it's obviously definitely moving into more white collar, replacing white collar jobs. Okay, mm-hmm. because it can churn out lots of stuff. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. And so the blue collar stuff actually didn't get replaced. I think most people, and, and the reason for that is you, it's machinery replaces blue collar workers. And so machinery is really, really expensive. Um, and I think the next stage of our evolution is when the AI gets smart enough to be able to itself invent machinery to replace mm-hmm. blue collar workers at a price. And it, it's that moment that I think is going to be the interesting thing where we're like, okay, well, the AI is now smart enough to make its own inventions to um, to f- uh, profitably produce new equipments to construct things. And at that moment, I think, is the moment where it just go go berserk. Yeah, yeah, that would be that's that's an interesting moment <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what? Uh, how far out do you think that that moment might be? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. It, it, do you know what? Honestly, so how how like since the internet c- came in, how quick have we advanced as a civilization, or, or well, how quickly have we degraded as a civilization? Yeah, but uh, but you know what I mean, right? So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, it's I, I honestly, I just don't know what to say to that answer. But like, how, how much is chat is is the AI going to uh, increase that exponential curve? I don't know. So it, it's it's a guess, but I, it's probably closer than we think. It's probably five or ten years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the innovation growth over the the last couple of decades is just insane. It's just straight up. You, that exponential growth is getting yeah. bigger and bigger every single year. It's it's pretty mind boggling, especially here in it construction. Is. Yeah. For sure, in construction, uh, but construction is a little bit behind as well as an industry. Um, you know, in comparison to say um obviously tech itself but like you know automobiles and and mm-hmm. um there's there's you know i th- i think construction tends to have some trickle down effects from other industries like day to day construction like there's obviously the advanced mining and oil and gas sort of stuff where there's pump a lot of money into it and obviously there there's a lot of advanced stuff there like the self driving trucks and all of that sort of cool stuff um but it's when do we see it on your regular construction site so you go to a regular construction site these days and you still see quite a lot of old old equipment being used, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how long does it filter down to that level is is probably the slow bit. Yeah. Well, and to your point on the AI creating the, the machines, it's just, the cost is a, a huge barrier to really yeah. getting the, the tech on every single job site as well too because the, the smaller contractors, they can't really afford all the equipment and the, the technology to... Really That's right. Go full yeah. into it. Um, so, what does innovation mean to you? Um, innov- uh, making the complex simple. Hmm. Um, so, 
so it's yeah making the complex simple so you now we we have this 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 phrase in our in well from looking at construction companies we can see that the most successful construction companies are um the companies that do one thing right they don't do lots of different services they they're a steel fabricator they are um whatever a civil company or whatever and i feel that those type of companies can innovate better because they have this circle feedback loop because they only do one thing right they don't have all these different things going on they don't also do x y and z and also do x y and they do just one thing and so every time they get a complaint um they correct a complaint and they make their their process simpler and better and their delivery becomes better and better and better have you ever heard uh the jeff bezos is amazon um um he has, a, he has a i can't remember the quote but basically the the concept is about innovation he goes you know when amazon first started or even or even three or four years ago yeah you know the delivery time for stuff was two year, two weeks mm-hmm. and the complaints would come in at you know if something was over two weeks people would complain and then then it became a week if something was over a week people would complain and then it came down basically in the US, right? It's it's the same day or next day, right? And if people right. don't get it same day or next day, people complain. And so the yeah. innovation has just been this series of complaints from two weeks to one day. Um, and that is obviously the innovation of just getting better and better and better at the one thing and the one thing and the one thing. Um, so for me, that's how to innovate is to make the, your one thing simple, better, more comp- um, and less complex and just streamline the whole thing, getting better and better and better, innovating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm always amazed at Amazon. I've gotten, I've ordered some stuff and I get it in like a couple hours. Like this is insane that you can get it this fast. It's it, 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 it is absolutely level, but... <laughs> yeah yeah i remember actually i was working in the middle east and i was talking uh, at that stage we haven't been to america and um i was talking to this texan guy and i he was just like yeah yeah man if 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 i order something from amazon it's delivered the same day i'm like the same day it's like two weeks for me like you know it's insane i was like oh wow yeah. it's so cool it's brilliant yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, how do people find out more information about you and all the stuff that you got going on and, and connect with you? Yeah, so we kind of have a few different. So we got the the podcast is basically me going over um, contractual, commercial things, all the mistakes and failures that subcontractors have make uh, made um, and, and what to do instead. So just by listening to that, you'll um, become more contractually savvy. Uh, we have a website called constructionsecrets.io, which has loads of free training. So uh, there for all the people that just want to do it themselves or not big enough to to work with a company like ours. Um, and then if you're doing more than, say, five million in, in revenue um, per year, uh, if you go to quantumcontractsolutions.com, there is a case study on there. You can check out how we've helped um, a lot of other construction companies. And if you're interested in jumping on a call, jump on a call and we'll chat then. Awesome. Perfect. Well, final question for you. If I could give you all power and you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in construction, what would you pick to innovate? Oh, wow. Um, I, I was, uh, I, I was, you know, obviously the, the, the attraction is to have some funky, uh, you know, actual construction tool. Um, but, um, I think something with, uh, like the AI that could design, uh, AI engineering, 
I think if that could that could happen, AI engineering. So you get the architect. I want to build this beautiful building, right? Mm -hmm. Here's my crazy design, but more often than not, never works, right? From a structural point yeah. of view, and then you just feed it into the AI, and it goes. The AI just does this thing and gives you all of the drawings already done, um, and with perfect like engineering that everything works, everything stable in an instant. Um, that would that would lead to um, jo uh, uh, construction projects being completed, like you know, in half the time. Because you think about that front, the feed period, the front end engineering period, like that's yeah. huge. That's oftentimes two years before you even start yeah, sure. construction. And imagine that's done in in two minutes. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be, be pretty cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. I like it. All right. Well, we're, we're snapping and making it happen. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I think that'd be good. Kian, thanks so much for, for taking the time and, and joining the show. Uh, absolute pleasure to be here, Todd. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, have the confidence in your ability to ask for what you actually need to be successful on a project. As Kian said, it's okay to negotiate better terms. In fact, it shows that you're a professional. Second take, AI is here. The thought experiment Kian mentioned of trying to determine how AI can replace your job is super interesting. It sounds counterintuitive, but when you risk being replaced, you are actually advancing your career. And final take, I loved the analogy of success and vitamins. Success does indeed bring silence a lot of times. A job well done may not always make the front page, but it is always worth it. In this case, silence can be golden. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, Gray Tech Group, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Gray Tech Group production, copyright Applied Software Gray Tech Group 2023.